Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Mindset Podcast, where we believe that in order to grow a successful business, you need just two things, the right marketing strategies and the right mindset. I am your host, Maria Bentz, and I am the founder of MBM Agency, a digital marketing company who helps service-based businesses grow their revenue using online strategies. And I am here to share with you all of my tips and pointers every single week when it comes to digital marketing and business growth. Awesome. Welcome back to the podcast, you guys. Today I have Douglas Ferguson, who has an entrepreneur and human-centered technologist with over 20 years of experience. He is the founder and president of Voltage Control, which is an Austin-based facilitation agency that specializes in helping teams work better together through participatory design-making and design-inspired facilitation techniques. He had helped transform <laughs> teams from all over the U.S., the Air Force, Adobe, Dropbox, Fidelity, VRBO, Liberty Mutual, Humana, and more. So Douglas, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, th- thanks for the warm welcome. Yes, of course. So before we kind of get into the topic of today's episode, tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get here to where you are today? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I started my career as a software developer, and um, which is a strange place to start for a facilitator <laughs> or a, or a uh, or someone at the helm of facilitation agency, and um, you know, ultimately, I, I had this discovery early in my career that that was what set me off on this path, and that discovery was that technology for technology's sake never serves anybody and it's not certainly not a great way to run a business although it's sometimes gets you funding and mm-hmm. <laughs> that only lasts so long and so i was really fascinated by how we create sustainable processes um, and really uh, great companies that can stick around for the long haul and that led me to uh, exploring organizational health team dynamics processes by which we write great software, we design great products, and we market them um, with, uh, with great intention. And so uh, my most recent startup was an, was an art marketplace that was uh, funded by Google Ventures. Wow. I got to work directly with the Google Ventures design team who invented the design sprint. And um, we, we, we found great results from the design sprint and i saw it as an amazing opportunity to um or just a tool to add to my toolkit one thing led to the next and and i'm you know flying around the country helping people run these things and and realizing that my experience in startups and and understanding organizational health dynamics has really um kind of prepared me for the innovation work that most big companies need, especially now in this rapidly changing world where, you know, companies drop out of the S and P 500 every couple of years, um, having staying power is hard and it's all about innovation and changing to the ever demanding, um, and adapting world that we're in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. We definitely, I feel like for your last statement, definitely seen that in the last year specifically, um, so quick question, if someone is listening and they are not familiar with design sprints, could you touch on that, on what that is? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, so design sprints was uh, invented by a, a good friend of mine, Jake Knapp at Google Venture. Sorry, he invented it at Google actually. And, oh, wow. uh, and, and had such great success with it. He was, he was working on Gmail and, um, had, and had a side project called um, Google Hangouts and mm-hmm. um, and they were just having trouble getting started. And then he, he started experimenting with some different ideas and started to notice that th- these other ways of meeting and working together actually started to create a lot more momentum than they'd ever experienced before. And so then he said to himself, man, there's something here. And he started experimenting more with it. And then pretty soon his job at Google turned into him doing this over and over every, for other um, teams. Right. And Google ventures caught wind of it, hired him over. And then he got to perfect it with a bunch of startups in the Google ventures portfolio. And essentially it's a five day process to solve really tough problems. And a lot of companies, when you go in, um, especially the larger companies will talk about, you know, within five days, they got more done than they typically do in six months. Wow. And it's all because of the, we're putting everything in a pressure cooker and we're time yeah. boxing and we're saying we're going to make some decisions. Like we're not going to beat these things to death. We're going to put analysis paralysis aside, make some decisions, work really well together. And, and it's all designed based on, you know, behavioral um, psychology. Um, it's got some agile principles in there. It's got some design thinking. It really smushes together a lot of different disciplines and concepts into this five-day process where we're just going to move quickly. So it starts off with really getting really clear on our problem mm-hmm. and, and what are, what is the challenge? What is the opportunity? Let's make sure we're really aligned, really, really clear on that and then decide what, what piece we're going to tackle. Cause we can't boil the ocean. Like, yeah. What's the point? What's the thing we want to tackle right now? Does it, do we need to get really clear on the, on our um, brand promise or do we need to um, make it really obvious? Like what this piece does, or do we need to solve this particular issues so that we can move forward whatever that thing is we're all going to get aligned and say that is the thing that is the point of entry we need to go there and then we'll all individually create our own solutions and this is really Mm -hmm. important because we want to make sure everyone's heard everyone gets to like put forth their idea as equally and as fully as anybody else then we're going to decide what we're going to prototype Mm -hmm. and then day four we prototype which means we're going to build a simulation of the thing how can we fake it in some quick one day kind of um, work session and then on friday we test it with five users and some people are a little thrown off by the five users thing especially if they do a lot of quantitative research but Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating uh there's been some studies in this qualitative research realm where five users is enough to get about 80% of your insights. And you usually don't stop after the first test, right? If we can, we can fit five in one day, get a bunch of insights and then rinse and repeat that. The next thing you know, you've talked to like 20 people and you're starting to hear the same stuff and it's starting to trend toward what you want them to say. And then you've adapted past your assumptions and got really refined. So the, the, the design sprints are really powerful tool and we've even used it at, um, Twilo was the name of the art marketplace I was at. We even used it for our, our marketing, which wow. is in our and specifically our ads. And a lot of times, you know, you 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 work with an ad agency and you've got the Don Draper. I mean, that stuff is a little bit more antiquated, but there is still that sentiment that, like, oh, here's the copy person. They're gonna write some slamming stuff and it's gonna be awesome. We just put it out there. We maybe the team gets gets three to five options and they pick the one, they're good to go. Well, we actually took all our options and put them in front of put, like prospects and almost like a double blind kind of surveyed, like what did people prefer? Mm. And we'd even listen to how they talk about it. So it wasn't just like, do you like this or not? The interview is very exploratory. And we'd say, um, 
what did you see today? How would you describe it to a friend? And then if we were hearing consistent stuff in their language, we would use that language verbatim. I love that. I love that. That's going to resonate with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is so, so powerful. And I, I almost wonder if sometimes as, you know, leaders and as business owners, we have so much going on and I wonder if sometimes people, I wonder if they like avoid certain, you know, kind of solving these key problems that we know we have, but then if you're presented with them and you're like, okay, you have five days to solve it. You have a facilitator to kind of lead you through it. That those anxieties that people had about it. I mean, and I'm kind of, to be honest, kind of thinking about myself, like, I know there's some things that like, I know I need to work on in my business. Right. And to work on it, I know it's going to be deep. It's going to be hard. And it gives me a little bit of an anxiety, but if you're just presented, okay, you have nothing to do, but for five days, just solve this problem. You have someone facilitating you to walk you through it. That sounds like so exciting (laughs) to solve those problems. It is, you know, there's a few dynamics you're talking about there, right? One is the, um, the, the infinite struggle that as a founder that, you have to balance working on the business versus in the business. Mm-hmm. And so, are, and if you're, if you're one, like me and just obsessively <laughs> focused on um, pleasing the client and, and delivering with high levels of excellence, it is hard to turn the lens inward. And, yeah. and, and when you do, it's in little fits and spurts. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's, it is healthy to, to schedule some time to, to, to reflect whether that's a quarterly um, planning session or, you know, even a one, a monthly leadership meeting or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are big fans of Lencioni's advantage. There's some really great ideas and, and, um, and Gina Wickman's, uh, traction. So, uh, we use a lot of our meeting tools and a lot of our facilitation stuff internally, but I gotta okay. tell you, it's really difficult. You know, it's the cobbler shoes, right? sometimes like we have a meeting and I walk out feeling a bit of shame because I'm like, we are the experts in meetings. How did that happen? But <laughs> it happens because we're so focused on making our cl- clients meetings so awesome that sometimes we don't have time to sit down and plan on our own stuff. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, I feel like that's such a, such a common thing. Like you do everything for the clients and then whatever you focus on for the clients um, in your business, you tend to, you know, there tends to be a lack there. I've talked to so many entrepreneurs. It seems like such a common common thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, but... I just recently found a, found a tool called winter uh-huh. um, that allowed us to, uh, to actually start testing on some, on our website, which is, I found it to be, to be, it's, it's kind of lightweight compared to some of the like research and interviews we'll do for our clients. Mm-hmm. But um, I really, I, 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 I was, I was very, <laughs> Um, it was almost like a, a, a sigh. I f- felt like a sigh of relief because it was like, oh, wow, I can just kind of use this tool what and, is it? and get, so it's called winter and uh-huh. it's called W Y N T E R dot I O. And basically you can load up your website and then, um, and then click a few pieces of copy you want feedback on and then, and then set questions you want, uh, people to answer based on those sections uh-huh. and, um, and then you say what, what your um, ideal customer is, and then it'll shoot that out to them and you'll get feedback on it. And, and I, you know, as far as like getting some quick re, um, uh, feedback on, uh, on the copy on the homepage was really valuable because, you know, at, at some level I was like, well, our website, I don't know if our, I don't know if this website page for us as, as the size company we are warrants us doing um, the type of, 
um, recruiting and interviewing that we typically do for customers. Mm -hmm. But I was like desperately feeling like I needed to, you know, I, I saw that need because of the, and I see the benefits of the work that we, when we do it. Right. And so I, it was, it was such a nice, easy button to hit. That is awesome because a little bit about my uh, company. So we're a website design agency. I've never heard of this. I'm like, this sounds amazing. <laughs> so quick question about this. Is it just for copy or can you get like design um, feedback? Yeah, you could. So theirs is more specifically designed for um, copy. Okay. Um, there's two other tools that I just ran into. I just, I'm kind of a tool nerd. So um, bear with me. Um there's two tools. I think one of them is called Palette. Um, I'll follow up with you after the okay. after the show. But um, there's two tools that would be more suited for what you're describing. Okay. And basically, the way those work is um, if you've ever seen Envision or like some of these um, uh, internet, like in the cloud design tools, mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. you can share a design and people can click anywhere on the design and leave a comment. Yeah. Which like totally fix that problem of having these really long email threads of trying to yeah. collaborate and have feedback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these new tools that have popped up do the same thing on a live website. I so love basically, it. Instead of commenting on the design, you're commenting on the sections of the site. Yes. Please send that over to me because we literally just had a meeting with our design team um, a few weeks ago. And for this new year, uh, one of our big goals is to figure out how can we streamline this process, the feedback process even more. So I'm like, this sounds exactly <laughs> like what I need right now. Okay. I'm going to give you the both names right now. One of them, because I just found the email. One of them is called markup.io. Uh-huh. And the other one is usepastel.com. So the Use app is pastel. called Pastel, but their URL is usepastel.com. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. Hopefully I'm, I'm, Hey, one of my, <laughs> one of my big, big, uh, personal core values is to be helpful. So I'm, I'm pretty, this is like lit up my day that I'm yes. able to like <laughs> provide some stuff here, but no. you know, so that what you're talking about though, uh, that need you felt around the feedback and the collaboration piece, that's at the core of the work we do. And yeah. especially when you're talking about remote meetings, like how yeah. do you create um, opportunities yeah. for folks to do the work in the meeting, which is, um, which is one of our 10 meeting mantras. And um, it really, it's about building and creating prototypes and how do we simulate the future, right? And so yeah. the, a commenting tool like this or a feedback tool is more accurately simulating the future, right? Because you can point at a thing and say, do this to this thing. And so now you've got this, this like situation contextual, like um, advancement toward the, the end goal, right? And sometimes people might draw over something or like, you know, sketch out something really quickly. Um, we're, you know, mural, we're big, big fans of mural. Um, it's an online collaborative space. Like a, you can think of it as a virtual whiteboard or, okay, or sticky yeah. notes in the cloud. And um, even, here's another great remote um, work tip is um, loom is yes. a really great tool for recording videos. Yeah. And um, at first I was like, you know, I can use QuickTime or whatever to record a video. But the thing I started to realize was with loom, like when it, since it's recording into the cloud, as soon as you're done recording, you have a URL. So yeah. you can instantly share without uploading, naming, versioning, just tracking anything, record it. And then literally, email it or text it to someone. And I, I use it um, when I um, am experimenting with some changes in the website, or maybe I install a new plugin and I want to show my team how it works. 
mm-hmm. then I'll record a quick, this is, this is what I'm thinking. Is this going to, yeah. does this solve the problem? And it's so, so much faster than long email threads so that asynchronous stuff can be handled with, with loom. Very powerful. Yes. I love loom. I think I use it almost every day. Um, definitely a few times a week for my team, um, for clients. Like if we have, you know, if we're sending a website back, um, and maybe I wanted to chat about a feature, right? Like that. Um, so I'll send that video or for my team, I've noticed, like I start typing in a long email thread of like kind of discussing whatever. And I'm like, you know what, this could be like a minute loom video and it's so easy. Or we'll start creating like training tutorials, um, you know, for new team members and we'll have it in loom so then they can just easily watch it. But so many good things to do. One thing I wanted to ask you, since you are the meeting expert here, what are some of the key differences that you have seen when it comes to in-person meetings versus, versus virtual, which have become so much more popular within the last year? Yeah, you know, there, there's quite a bit there. And I've written about it extensively on, on our blog. And so there's, I mean, I'm only going to, you know, even touch the iceberg here. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing is preparation. Virtual meetings require a lot more upfront planning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any good meeting requires planning. And that, therein lies part of the problem with meetings in general. And I think remote just exacerbated the problems. Like we're not, a, we're not addressing the fundamentals. And, you know, the general advice is have an agenda and have action items. I think those are somewhat flawed, right? Because when people just say agenda, they, they immediately think top, list of topics and agendas can be so much more, right? They can define an arc. They can, you can look at the, how you're going to, how the energy is going to flow from start to ending. How are you going to mm-hmm. start? How are you going to end? Are you being intentional? Mm-hmm. How you invite people in? Um, also people should be um, another fundamental thing that is going to help out remote meetings is to be very clear about your purpose okay. and make sure you communicate that purpose. Like if you look at your calendar, I invite everyone that's listening to look at their calendars right now and scan and and look at the titles of the meetings and think to yourself, like, how many of these titles on my calendar make it really clear to me what we're going to do when we walk in there? Or how much is how much is there discovery happening in the session around what we're doing? That is a lot of wasted time. And also, you don't allow people to like subconsciously prepare. That's true. kind of unclear. So if you make it really, really clear, also people can opt out. They can, they can say, Oh, I don't need to be there. And that, that improves ROI for the company. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, more specifically, if people are looking for specific remote tactics or, you know, you, you mentioned the differences, mm-hmm. I'll say one big, big difference is the connection is much more difficult. And so yeah. how do you yeah. look out for signals? Uh, you know, I, I say, pay attention to the tools that you're using, um, even thinking about how you design the meeting in ways that will make it more apparent if someone's like social loafing or someone's disconnected. Um, mm. We like to design our murals such that everyone has their own little workspace, much like they would in a real room. Like they're sitting at a table and they have a little area and they have it a personal space. So if you give everyone personal space, then as a facilitator, you can watch out and look for who's contributing, who's not, and then you can lean in and support them. Yeah. Um, you know, even watching things like, um, just other signals like their cameras on cameras off or people looking down typing or, you know, just paying attention to some of those things. Mm-hmm. I've also found that it's really helpful to have an assistant. I mean, I love to have an assistant in person, but often the budget couldn't account for it because, you know, extra flights, extra hotels, et cetera. Remote does allow 
um, us more easily to, to bake in a, a co-facilitator assistant in the, um, in, in the um, proposal. And that's fantastic because that person can be watching signals. Cause you know, if you're watching the, the people's faces and other signals, you, you might miss the chats, <laughs> you yeah. know, and there might yeah. be people like contributing there and, um, and even resetting the mural or taking notes in the mural. There's a lot of different tasks and, um, I think it's, it, it does warrant a two person. Um, another thing to think about is uh, feedback and measuring. So um, if you're wanting to improve your meetings and, and especially virt virtual ones, um, collect feedback at the end of every meeting okay. and, uh, and uh, almost like a net promoter score on your meetings, right? You can do a one uh, the people could rate one to 10 or, or mm. um, uh, they could give you feedback on what they liked what they didn't like opportunities for improvement. And if you're constantly tweaking them much like we do in software or product work, we're iteratively trying to get to better. Yeah. Um, it's a journey. Right. And yeah. I, I don't think there's ever any, per like you never perfect it. Right. Cause there's always new tools. There is always new dynamics, new people on the team, but if you're always in pursuit of how we can improve, you'll find that um, your, 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 uh, your trust, your psychological safety, your outputs and your enjoyment um, tends to improve. Just just mm -hmm. paying a little bit of attention and just reflecting. So you've mentioned Mural. Are there any other tools that or specific tips you can provide to have productive meetings? Yeah, as far as tools go, um, I mean, even Google Docs is powerful. Yeah. You know, um, the point is like we want to work on something together. Yeah. And we want to all be focused on creating that thing together that do the work in the meeting is like one of our, one of our big mantras. Oh, um, I like that. Also. Yeah. And, and um, cultivating the um, we talk about um, embrace the child's mind and there's some, there's some actual learning science in the, in this notion of being curious and being playful. Mm -hmm. And I think so many, um, so many companies are afraid of being playful because they think of it as childish yeah. We didn't say be childish. We said embrace the child's mind. So be curious, ask why, wonder, um, and, and, and engage in serious play. If we make the play serious, if the intent is for a good business outcome, it's okay to cut loose a little bit because then that's where the best ideas come from and we, we find our way forward into some novel place. So is this one of your meeting mantras for your company? Uh, yes. Embrace the child's mind is one yes. of the 10 mantras. I like yeah. it. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with me, one of the questions that I had was what kind of meeting mantras have you developed within your company? And then how can others adopt the same thing into their organization? So if you don't mind sharing a few, we're all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's 10 in all. Um, let's see. A, a few others <clears throat> would be um, no purpose, no meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is really about that, uh, that point I brought up earlier about being intentional about why we're meeting. Yeah. A lot of, uh, Priya Parker has an amazing book called The Art of Gathering, and she has a chapter on how people conflate purpose and category. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that this is a retro, our purpose is to have a retro meeting because that's a category. What is, what's the why? What drives us? Um, you know, what, what bad stuff will happen if we don't do it? You know, what are the consequences of not doing it? And so really kind of getting, getting deeper into um, 
the drivers there. So it might, it might be so that uh, you might say the purpose of a retro is so that we can avoid prior mistakes and we can, uh, we can ensure that we're improving. Okay. That's a great, that's a great purpose. Right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. there's some intent there. Um, and then another one that we have is um, foster psychological safety. Okay. And that one is really about making sure a- Amy Edmondson has an amazing book on psychological safety called the fearless organization. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I found it really great because I see so many people struggle with the difference between trust and psychological safety. And she does a great job at distilling those two differences. Whereas, you know, the one example she gives is, um, you know, in a doctor's office um, there, it was a prenatal unit. And uh, often when, when babies are born premature, they uh, give medicine to help the lungs develop more quickly and to make them more resilient, the lungs more resilient. Um, and the doctor hadn't, um, hadn't prescribed this medicine and the nurse thought to herself, Oh, shouldn't we do that medicine? But she didn't speak up mm-hmm. because two days prior, a, another nurse had said something to that doctor and he had kind of snapped at her. Now you can imagine the consequences of that baby not surviving are, are monumental. Yeah. Yeah. The consequences of her getting snapped at, are kind of inconsequential. Like she's going to take a, she's going to endure a little bit of pain because he might snap. Yeah. But that baby could die or have some like, you know, like developmental issues. And the thing is as humans, we discount the long-term and we amplify the short-term. And so anytime that people are getting shot down or like, that's a bad idea or that'll never work. If that's in your culture, then people are going to hold back. Even if the consequences are huge, because they want to, it's in our nature to avoid the, 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 the short-term pain. Yeah, that makes sense. Gosh, I got goosebumps over that baby story. But yeah, that makes sense to keep in mind for leaders, especially. Um, going back to the child's play, I had this in my, in my mind. Um, are there any examples that you can give that you and your team do, or maybe your clients do, in, to incorporate that? Yeah, uh, lots. Um, <laughs> you know, very, very. I guess the easiest thing things to point to would be. Um, I'll give you an example that's like more on the playful side and a mm-hmm. little bit more on the serious side. Um, we use a lot of improvisational activities, so from improv theater, and okay. you know the basic premise of yes and 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 having people um, reserve judgment and just like. Um, pull from the well of just like their humanity versus like trying to be right and perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so those, those warmups can be really powerful to seed the child's mind and get people just behaving in that way before we get into some sketching or ideating or something like that. Mm. One of my favorite exercises is called seven things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you basically um, you ask people like t- uh, something that um if you were to look in, uh, in your, in the trunk of your car, what would I find? And then you would have to say seven things that you might find in the trunk of your car. And the funny thing is like the people that stop and think about what's accurate and what's actually in their car take longer than the people that just have some play and just say ridiculous stuff. Like, Oh, like there's a, there's a rock, there's a shoe, there's a the bubble machine, there's a cloud, <laughs> a fog That's- machine, whatever. Like you just keep. And, um, and those generative creative ideas come from when we don't like think too hard about what's going to be right. Because 
if we divorce those two things, generating ideas versus deciding what's right, then we have, we end up with better solutions. And so that's generally, we're trying to get people to unlock that. So seven things is pretty fun. We usually huddle up and do that in a circle and people go around and call on the next person. <laughs> I bet um, that's a good way to see people's personality too. <laughs> oh yes. But, and, and you can, you can start, start to kind of diagnose the folks that are going to be a little more um, hesitant to um, color outside the lines. And yeah. then, and, and, and those, so those are the first folks you can um, nurture. You can even use that as a, as a way to ascertain what breakout groups you might create. Because mm-hmm. if you notice half the groom is really creative and half the room is a little stilted, then like, let's mix those people up. Cause we don't yeah. like the worst would be if we randomly made groups and it just ha- so happened that <laughs> the stilted group and the creative group. Well, then when you bring folks back together, those two groups, you know, one group's going to have made progress and the other one won't. Yeah. Um, the other one that I think is, is really fantastic comes from um, a, a repertoire of methods called liberating structures. Okay. And there's a lot of cool playful activities in there, but uh, there's one called improv prototyping. And I guess I'm talking about um, improv twice, but this is one's less about improv theater and more about us like actually practicing behaviors that um, that will help us design solutions on the fly. And um, actually, right when COVID hit, we did a workshop for South by Southwest to explore how we have a safe South by. This was before they decided to cancel. In fact, mm-hmm. ironically, the mayor came on like this, the big screens at, at, at the accelerator we were at and announced that he was canceling South by right in the middle of the workshop that we were running wow. to like figure out how to have the safe South by. So, um, but what we were doing was we had these series of prompts of so these scenarios you might run into at South by and you would practice your response to them. Mm. So we would have someone act out an unsafe sneeze and then mm. you two, um, two people would um, observe while someone else responded to that person acting out that unsafe sneeze and then they would debrief and they would say well it's a little awkward when you said this it might have been better to say this and then they go back set the scene back up and do it again so then you're starting to build behaviors for scenarios that um, you know you need to be prepared for but uh, but you maybe don't run into every day and so um so when you so the thing is is like when we typically see an unsafe sneeze we probably just turn the other way and like oh that's awkward let me make sure not to walk through that but like we don't take the moment to actually um, uh, we're not prepared to have yeah. that conversation. So we avoid it. And so it's all, so then improv prototyping can be a way, great way to prepare for things um, and have solutions in our pockets when we need them. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so one of the last questions that I have for you regarding meetings, are there a few elements that you can name that every meeting might have not every meeting but you know meetings might have that make it non-effective and how do you Mm. avoid them yeah um i call these dysfunctional behaviors okay Um, that i guess that's one category there's some other things i could mention but um dysfunctional behaviors um typically arise out of a lack of understanding of the why um or they don't they don't understand what's being asked of them Mm-hmm. Um, I also like to say that there's no such thing as bad meetings. There's just bad facilitators. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the, the thing is, is like, if, if we don't lean in intentionally as a facilitator to solve these things that are going to organically crop up, then it's, uh, it's ultimately our fault because we called the meeting yeah. and, um, and so we should, we should know how to, how to run them well. Um, and sometimes people call meetings and then kind of advocate the responsibility. And then it's just like a free for all. Um, that's not great. 
um, I think typically um, our conventional mechanisms, such as presentations, status reports, et cetera, there's two big problems with them. They, um, they don't, uh, the, the control of content and information is not distributed. One, typically one or just a few people are in control of content. So in a presentation, the presenter is in control of content. Everyone else is inf- invited to listen. Mm-hmm. So if we can flip that and distribute that mm-hmm. control of content, everyone can bring something and contribute. You're going to um, have a better success. Also, if everyone's um, involved in the shaping of the future, so mm-hmm. everyone has a voice and can contribute really powerful. Yeah. Another thing is if you have the wrong people in the room, if we haven't brought together a diverse group, we're not going to have novel solutions. Yeah. These are good. These are so good. These are, as you're saying them, I'm like, well, yeah, but I feel like you don't really think of about these certain things immediately. You know what I mean? But how you said like how everyone to be a part of the presentation, I'm like, immediately, I'm like, I feel like that would make people so much more excited to come to the meeting, to show their thoughts, show their opinions on things. That's right. That's why I I hate the word um, buy-in. Because it assumes you're selling something. I love the I love the notion of ownership, right? If we invite people to bring their stuff, they've got something. They got some ownership because they brought yeah. something. They're sharing it. They're involved. They're participating. Yeah. Now this is good. So just to summarize for the audience, um, some key things that I've learned, and feel free to add in um, anything else that you think is important. But some key things that I've learned is number one know your why behind the meeting and translate that to your team. So that like being intentional with your meetings and before people come to the meeting for them to really understand why are they there? Why is it important? You know, what are the, what's the big picture of this meeting? Um, then I love child's play. I think I'm going to incorporate that because I think when like thinking back to when you're a kid, you are, I feel like free, thinking like calm, like no idea is too big. And I think that is so, so important, but people I think don't want to have big ideas because maybe like, oh, maybe that's going to sound stupid or maybe it sounds unachievable or something like that. But I feel like incorporating child's play before going into a meeting, I think that is awesome. I think that's my favorite (laughs) tip that I've learned from today. Um, Some other key things that I'm taking away from it is have people be a part of the presentation, be really a part of the meeting, have them come share their ideas, share their opinions. Um, let's see. I know there was one more that I just slipped out of my head, <laughs> but um, anything else that you think is like super key for people to remember? I think you hit on a lot of great stuff and, you know, we, we definitely cover a lot of ground. So I don't yeah. want to, overwhelm folks with, with, with too much. If they, I think if they concentrated on the, on the purpose, the play and do the work in the meeting, I think those, those are kind of solid places to start. And yeah. you know, if they wanted to dig in more, they can check out our blog. We published our 10 meeting mantras yes. on, there at voltagecontrol.com. And we're about to have a facilitation conference in February. So oh, if you're cool. really intrigued by this stuff, come, it's going to be a, we're going to have 18 master facilitators sharing stuff, everything, from you know normal meeting facilitation to cuddle facilitator it's uh it's quite diverse and we're i'm really looking forward to it and i guess the other thing i'll mention is my new book magical meetings is coming yes. out um it's gonna be published in um in march 
Um, it's already available for pre-order. And it's, I love the fact that you said, you know, this stuff um, seems, it makes total sense, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. big philosophical. It's all very practical, but it's maybe non-obvious. Right? Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's the name of the series. The book is being published under uh, the non-obvious guide series. And there's a lot of cool books in the series. I highly recommend you um, check it out. The one on creativity is really fun. Yes. Oh, that sounds good. Um, I love anything creativity. So before we go, how can people connect with you online? So I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me on, on, if you just search on LinkedIn, Douglas Ferguson, Voltage Control will probably come up. Um, Or just go to um, voltagecontrol.com. Hit me up there, uh, Douglas at voltagecontrol.com. I love connecting, making friends, and talking about facilitation. So come join the community. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Lots of fun. Really, really great conversation. If you've enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already and leave us a review with your main takeaways from this episode. But thanks again for joining me today and I will catch you next time on the Marketing Mindset Podcast.